can't sing praises to the Lord, not because there's something wrong with your voice, it's because there's something wrong with your heart. He is worthy of our praise. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this time in our service where we open up your word and spend a few moments studying it, Lord, Father, just remind us of um, the truth that we find in your word. Father, it is all truth. Father, it is truth that we can uh, build our lives upon. It is truth that uh, will never fade away. Though our lives are here today and gone tomorrow, Lord, your word remains true forever. Father, in a world where um, thoughts and ideas about what is right and what is wrong seem to shift as quickly as the sand under the tides, Father, your word, the truth about what is right, about what is wrong, about who you are, about our lives, about sin, about grace, remains constant. And so we thank you for that. Father, speak to us through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. You ever heard somebody say, everyone loves a good fight? Be honest, you heard, you, yeah, you said that before, okay, maybe you said that, everybody loves a good fight, uh uh-uh. I'm not sure that's always a good thing, but often what it means is that we enjoy seeing a good competition, uh, such as maybe two teams duking it out on the field or on the court or in the rink for a championship. And as we've studied through Jonah, we have been witness to a fight of sorts. Okay, I, I, I really think, as I, and this is, I've, I've been learning, I hope y'all have been learning a lot as we've been studying through Jonah. I have learned so much and uh, been convicted of a lot. But one thing that I, 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 I'm beginning to see is what's going on here is this fight, this, this battle, this struggle of sorts. And so, if, if I may, I'd like to introduce to you our contenders, our contenders for the day. All right, you ready? I, I'm not, I can't unscrew this, but I'll, I'll try to hold it, okay? You know, like, you'll, 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 you'll get it, okay? You ready? All right, you ready? I, I'm not going to be good at this, so just pretend that I know what I'm talking about. Fighting out of the red corner today, we have the sovereign ruler of the universe, the all-knowing, the all-present, the all-powerful, the maker of heaven and earth, immeasurable in majesty and matchless in power. With an undefeated record, the one, the true, the only, God. There you go. Thank you. We're going to have applause, right? Come on. Come on. All right. Fighting out of the blue corner, we have a prophet of Israel, Jonah. Probably, if we have any level of compassion in our hearts, we go, oh, no. This is not going to turn out good. For God? No, no, no. For Jonah. I mean, just from the introduction, we realize that this is a mismatched match. Now, most of the time in sporting competitions, uh, the organizers try to match up the opponents who have similar chances of winning. You know, schools are divided up according to size. Uh, Boxers and wrestlers are divided up according to weight. However, the the fight or the struggle that we see in Jonah 
is very one-sided. And it's been one-sided since the opening verses in chapter 1. But even though we know who is going to come out on top, this struggle, this fight, is very interesting. At times, it's somewhat entertaining, which I think is one of the things that draws us to this story. It's why it's one of the most well-known stories. It is entertaining, but more than that, if we're really honest, we realize that the struggle that we see played out in this book is very, very real. I was talking to someone and I joked that perhaps our hashtag for this book of Jonah should be the struggle is real. Hashtag the struggle is real. And, uh, and I think that's the case, not just for Jonah, but for us, for you and for me. You see, we need to pay careful attention to this battle between God and Jonah because it's a battle that we find ourselves in perhaps even every day as Christians, as followers of Christ. Now, today we pick up in the final round of the bout between God and Jonah in chapter four, and we see God's compassionate concern goes up against a merciless minister. God's compassionate concern versus a merciless minister. This really isn't just the title of chapter four. It's really could be the title of all of Jonah. And as we do, we learn this lesson of God's love as we look at this text. Now, just to remind ourselves of where we're at. Remember, Jonah is a prophet. And in chapter one, he was called to go to Nineveh and, uh, and declare to them that, that their evil, their wickedness had gone up before God. Jonah runs the other way. And we learned about God's love in chapter 1, that his love pursues us when we run. We see God chase Jonah down, and he catches up with him. And then in chapter 2, Jonah prays this prayer of thanksgiving. He prays this beautiful prayer of thanksgiving. He is overwhelmed with gratitude that God rescued him, even though he didn't deserve it. And so we learned there in chapter 2 or round 2, if you will, that God's love saves us from death. And then last week we looked at chapter 3, and Jonah is back up on dry land after he's been swallowed by the great fish. God tells him to go to Nineveh. This time he obeys. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches God's judgment, which is a message of, of warning. And at the same time, it's a message of God's love. And there we learn that God's love warns us lest we perish. People of Nineveh repented of their sin. And God withheld the wrath that he was going to pour out on them. And now we pick up in chapter 4. And here we will learn that God's love rebukes us for failing to love. God's love rebukes us for failing to love. If you will, hopefully you've got your Bibles already open to Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to pick up there in verse 1. This is the Word of God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, 
For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plan and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Now, this isn't a fight where fists are being thrown, but it is a battle of words, so to speak. And then God employs some of his creation to teach Jonah a lesson. First thing we see here about God's love and his compassion is this. God's compassionate concern clashes with a hardened heart. God's compassionate concern clashes with a hardened heart. Now, if you remember how how chapter 3 ended, Jonah preached this very simple message of judgment to Nineveh. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And this exceedingly wicked city was brought to its knees in repentance. Even the king got off his throne and repented. This is amazing. I was talking, I was talking to my wife and we were talking about Jonah and and uh, I think we we're just talking about some of the things that we were learning and standing out to us. And, uh, and, and she made this comment, and, and, she, and I hadn't thought about it. She said, Jonah was like the most successful prophet in history. He preached to a huge city that, was, that didn't know a thing about God. He preached a five-word, it's like five words in the Hebrew, five-word message, and they all repented of their sin. That's pretty good. I mean, Jonah could have gone back to Israel and been like, guess what happened? I went, I walked into Nineveh and I said, you're about to be overthrown. And the king got off his throne and he got down in the dust and he put on sackcloth and they repented and God turned from his wrath. That's pretty awesome. I mean, he could have had some, he, he could have even been tempted to be arrogant in how happy he was for his success. Or he could have not just been arrogant, but he, he could have just been excited for Nineveh. This was an incredible moment. God has turned his wrath from this entire city. An entire city has been spared. And so Jonah runs out of the city rejoicing. And he, and he goes out and sits up on a hill. And he is just singing praises to God. Right? No. He goes out of the city. He goes out to the east of the city. You know your geography of the Middle East? 
he would have probably entered in on the west side of the city since he would have been coming from Israel. So he goes through the rest of the city out the other side. He climbs up on a hill and it says that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. We've said that this is a story of greats. We see the Hebrew word great repeated over and over and over. We saw a great storm and a great fish. We see a great city, and now we see Jonah greatly displeased. He's greatly displeased, and he is angry. We'll learn later, really, his anger is directed at the Lord. What an interesting response. A prophet of God who is angry, greatly displeased, that an entire city has been spared from God's wrath. Perhaps, perhaps he doesn't understand how loving God is. You see Jonah's dilemma here. He knows how wicked the city of Nineveh is. Everybody knows that in his day and time. They're wicked. The country of Assyria was a wicked nation. And he knew that, that, that wickedness should be punished. And we kind of know that intuitively. I think God builds that into us. Even if we never open up the Bible, if someone comes and slaps my kid across the face, well, I kind of want to slap that person across their face, right? I don't go, wow, what a nice thing to do. No, I intuitively know that was wrong. And there's something inside of me that says that wrong must be punished. We, we just know that. And Jonah He had a little bit more information. He knew who God was, and he knew that God is a God who punishes sin. And so, in his mind, Nineveh is a city that should be punished. And so, he's angry when they turn from their sin, and it appears as though God has turned from his wrath. Well, maybe Jonah, let's be nice to him, maybe Jonah just doesn't understand how much God loves. Oh, but if only that were the case. Because notice what Jonah says. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Stop right there. Now Jonah finally confesses, if you will. It's not a repentant heart, but it is a confession of where his heart is at. Why he ran in the first place. Was it because he didn't want to take a long journey? Because he took a long journey. He tried to, the opposite direction. It wasn't that he was afraid of the Ninevites and they thought, hey, maybe they might kill me. Apparently, maybe he doesn't really want to die, but he's not afraid to die. He's already asked the sailors to throw him overboard. And twice in this passage, he asked God just to kill him. So death is not something that he's really fearing here. He wasn't scared to go to the Ninevites because of what they might do to him. He says, oh, Lord, is not this why I jumped up and ran the other direction? Why? Look at what he says. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful 
and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Wow. It's a verse that's easy to read over. One reason it's easy to read over is because we've grown accustomed to talking about God's love. And it's a good thing to talk about. Another reason it's easy to read over is if you're a student of the Old Testament, we see that phrase, those words repeated in, in, in this almost the exact same wording about seven times throughout the Old Testament. This, this is a, a phrase that is used over and over to describe God. And Jonah knows this about God. And so it's not that Jonah is simply lacking in knowledge about God's love. It's not that he's going, but God, I thought you punished wickedness. It's that Jonah's going, God, I know that you love to rescue people, but I don't think these people are worthy for you to rescue. Wow, what a revelation about Jonah. You see, he knows the right things about God. He knows what is true about God. But his heart is so hardened toward these people. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he is relenting from disaster. It's that same word that we looked at last week, that third of those three important words from chapter 3. He is relenting from disaster. He turns away his wrath from those who deserve it because of his great, compassionate, steadfast love. Jonah has already talked to us about the steadfast love of God in chapter 2, verse 8, where he said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah is a recipient of God's steadfast love, but he doesn't want this people to also be recipients of God's steadfast love. I want to give you a few dangers as we go along. Dangers for us as Christians, those of you who trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And danger number one is this. It's not going to be up on the screens, but danger number one is this. Knowing about the compassionate love of God while failing to share it with others. It's a danger that we can fall into and we must be aware of. Knowing about the compassionate love of God while failing to share it with others. When, when, I, when I read those words, Jonah knew. He says, I knew that you are this way. My mind goes back to a couple of questions that some different people asked in the story. Remember the sailors on the ship? And they wake Jonah up when he's at the bottom of the ship. He says, arise, the captain says, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The, Jonah, the, 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 the captain is saying to Jonah, perhaps your God would be gracious to us would show compassion to us. And Jonah knows that God is a God full of grace and mercy and compassion. But instead of going, He is. Not perhaps, my God is. He keeps His mouth shut. And then, chapter 3, 
the king of Nineveh. He calls for the fast. He calls for the repentance. And he says, who knows? Perhaps God will turn and relent and turn from the disaster that he has planned for us. He says, we don't know if he's loving, but maybe he is. And Jonah, who knows that God is loving, keeps his mouth shut. And then in chapter 4, he says, I knew that you were loving. And I want to say, but Jonah, then why didn't you share it with those who needed to know? Then I can only look in the mirror and say, Zach, why don't you share it with those who need to know? You see, here's Jonah's problem. He wanted to pick and choose who he thought was worthy of God's love. But that's not his job. That's God's job. I wonder how often we're in the same boat as Jonah. Trying to pick and choose who we think worthy of God's love instead of just sharing God's love with everyone. But he has such a hard heart. In verse 3, look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. If I can just say one thing about that is this. Trying to live for God while having a hard heart towards others is a recipe for misery. Trying to live for God while having a hard heart towards others. Saying, I love you, God, but I don't love these people. That is a recipe for a life of misery. It's trying to walk in two different directions at one time, and it's led to Jonah just wanting to die. And then God asks him a question. Do you do well to be angry? It's probably the most important question in the book because it gets to the heart of the main point of Jonah. God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that I showed compassion on a wicked people? Is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? Well, Jonah keeps his mouth shut. He probably knows what the answer is, but he has such a hard heart, he doesn't want to confess it. Number two, God's compassionate concern exposes a self-centered heart. God's compassionate concern exposes a self-centered heart. See, behind Jonah's hard heart is a heart that is self-centered. It is focused on him. And God's going to teach Jonah a lesson. He used a little object lesson. And we see God doing what he's done throughout the, the whole book is he employs his creation to do what he wants it to do, to get Jonah where he wants to get him, both physically and perhaps, we'll talk about that in a moment, spiritually. So if you'll remember, God appointed a storm in chapter 1. God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah in chapter 17. Here he appoints a plant and a worm, and a wind. Verses 5 through 9. And as he does so, he exposes the self-centeredness of Jonah's heart. Jonah goes out of the city, sits to the east of the city, he makes a booth for himself, okay? So a booth would have been where he would have taken some branches with some leaves and he would have woven them together like you would see on like a survival show, you know, and he builds this little, he's out in the desert, okay? He builds this little um, uh, 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 shelter to sit under. So he tries to provide for his own needs. He needed some shade. Well, apparently, he didn't watch enough survival shows, and the sun just went right through those leaves. 
Because God looks down and catch this, has compassion for Jonah. While Jonah's sitting out in the sun, and so God appoints a plant. The plant grows up, and it's a shade over Jonah's head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah builds the shelter, but apparently he's sitting under it, still getting sunburned and, 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 and sweating to death. Because now he is saved from his discomfort once God's plant grows up over Jonah. And notice his attitude now. Remember what he was at the beginning of chapter 4, exceedingly displeased and angry. And now he is exceedingly glad. Why? Because he's just had a change of heart and realizes how much God loves the city? No, because now he's not sweating as much. Who's Jonah care about? Himself. And God is slowly pointing his finger and touching this part of Jonah's heart that is not right. He's exposing this self-centeredness. So now Jonah's all happy. And so, so he's like, hey, now i got some shade to sit back and watch and see if God will destroy. And hey, this is good. I get to be comfortable while the enemies get destroyed. Thanks, God. Oh, but God wasn't done, was he? And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. I just love it, right? Little worm. Jonah's about to get handled by a little worm. That's how powerful God is. He gives this little worm, and the worm comes up, and he eats up the plant. And it withers. And then the sun rose. And then, this is, this is, how, this is, how, this is how I imagined this. I just had this kind of boxing match in my mind going on between Jonah and God. And, and, the, and, the, and the shade, the shade, that plant, God was setting Jonah up. You know what I'm saying? Like he was setting Jonah up, and then he comes in with a left hook and just lays him out, right? Because worm comes up, eats the plant, and then God appoints a scorching wind. All right, God just turns up the heat on Jonah. Not an accident. Notice, notice the, the wording here. He appoints these things. God is specifically teaching Jonah a lesson. He appointed the plant, he appointed the worm, and now he point, appoints the scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Literally, Jonah is, is on the verge of death. The, the, the wording there means he, he is, he's not just sitting there going, oh man, it's so hot. He's about passed out. He is, he is having a heat stroke at this point. He is, he is fainting away. He is dying. It's the same word he used when he was uh, drowning in the sea. My life was fainting away. He was literally dying because he was drowning. Now he is literally dying because he's so hot. And so once again, he asked that he might die. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. can't help but think that Jonah knew what would be better. What would be better would be for him to say, God, you're right. <laughs> you win, I submit. Right? I mean, when the opponent puts you in a chokehold, you tap out before they kill you. Jonah's so hard-hearted and so self-centered, he would rather die than submit to God's authority. 
God's withdrawal of compassion exposes Jonah's heart. You see, God shows him compassion and then pulls it back. And when he pulls it back, Jonah has a pity party for himself. Which reveals all he really cares about is himself. It's interesting, this word discomfort could be translated a few different ways in verse 6, that he was exceedingly glad from his discomfort. There's this word in Hebrew, and I'll probably say it wrong, but I want to say it because I want to make a point. It's the word ra'ah. And we see it a few different times in this letter, uh, this book. So if you go to chapter 1, verse 7, the sailors say, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this ra'ah, probably translated evil or disaster, has come upon us. So, so the storm is called a ra'ah. Then, when we go to chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, it says that God relented of the disaster. It's that word ra'ah. He relented from the ra'ah, the disaster that he had said he would do to them. Then when we go to chapter 4, verse 6, The shade saves Jonah from his ra'ah, his discomfort, or this disaster, if you will, this, this bright sun that's beating him down. And so notice this. God rescues Jonah from the first ra'ah, which was the storm, and then him getting tossed overboard. And chapter 2 lets us know that Jonah is very thankful. The whole chapter is Jonah's prayer of thankfulness. So when God spares him from Ra, evil, the first disaster, the first time, Jonah is so excited. Go to chapter 4. God spares Jonah from this Ra by letting the plant grow up over him. And Jonah is exceedingly glad. So two times, Jonah is the recipient of God sparing him from Ra, from evil. But what's his response when Nineveh is spared from Ra'ah, exceedingly displeased and angry. Three times, God spares someone from disaster. Two times, it's Jonah, and he is super excited. One time, it's the Ninevites, and he is super angry. Notice what God is doing here. He is just exposing Jonah's heart. And Jonah doesn't like it, and he just says, I just want to die. Danger number two that I wanted to share with you is this. Forgetting that God's compassionate love towards me is an act of grace. You see, somewhere in Jonah's heart, he thought that he deserved getting spared from the disaster those two times. But he didn't think that the Ninevites deserved getting spared from the disaster. But the truth is, none of them deserved to get get spared from the disaster. Not Jonah, nor the Ninevites. He was equally as unworthy of God's compassionate love as the Ninevites were. But he fell into this danger, this trap of forgetting that God's compassionate love towards him is an act, was an act of grace. And Christian, if you and I are not careful, 
We will be the recipients of God's compassionate concern and steadfast love. But we'll begin to think that we are worthy of it in some way. So that then when we see someone else who is wicked, we will think they are not worthy of it. And so we will not share good news with them, nor will we be excited for them when they become recipients of God's great love. Let's see if we can stop that. There we go. All right, let's try not to be distracted. Number three. They've been swinging, right? They've been duking it out. And we get to the end of the match. Number three, God's compassionate concern is justified before the merciless minister. I want to know who's, who wins, right? What's the end look like? Who's going to win out? Oh, we already know who's going to win out. God. God. He's going to win. But consider this. Jonah and us need to learn a lesson. God says in verse 9, you do well to be angry. He asks him that again. Jonah says, yes, I do well. It's good. It's right for me to be angry. Remember that important question. It's right. God doesn't say, no, you're wrong, and knock him out. The match doesn't end that way. It ends with God just stating the facts and letting Jonah decide for himself. Notice what God says. You ready? You pity the plant. You are sad because the plant died. Jonah, you have compassion, and it is for a plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. He just adds on reason after reason why, in the grand scheme of things, this plant is meaningless. And Jonah is distraught over this little plant. And then God says this, And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And the story ends. Of all the, of all the books in the Bible, this has got to be one of the oddest endings. Because I, I want either Jonah to go, you're right, God, and celebrate, or God just to flick Jonah back into the sea, right, and just be done with this guy. Because apparently, not only is his heart hard, his head is hard too, and he can't learn what he's supposed to learn. I want something to happen here. But he just ends on a question. God says, you are sorry for this. You, are, you show pity for this plant. Should not I show pity, compassionate care for a city full of people who are made in my image who don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, doesn't mean that they were just completely idiots and couldn't tell their right hand from their left. It means they didn't have knowledge of God like Jonah did. 
think, Jonah, you have all this knowledge of God. You grew up studying the Old Testament, the, the law. You know who I am. These people, they don't know. And, and they still repented. Should not I show compassion to them? Plus, they had a lot of cattle. Say, so what in the world? Why, does he, why is God talking about their cows? What happened in chapter 3? It put sackcloth on all the cows. It put sackcloth on all of them. And he says, also much cattle. I think maybe what God is saying is, Jonah, these people that really don't know anything about me except that I was going to pour punishment out on them, they were so sorry for their sins that they went to all the trouble to not only put sackcloth on themselves, they put sackcloth on all of their cattle. Should not I show compassion on them? And then it ends. That's it. That's all we know. I, I picture it like this. If I can go back to my boxing mat. It's not a knockout blow. And it's not even a, it's not even a tap out. They're both kind of standing up at the end of the match. But it's been so one-sided. God just looks at Jonah, who's all beat up. Right? He's still got some water in his lungs from drowning. He stinks because he was in the belly of the fish and they got vomited out. He's all dried up and crusty from the sun. I mean, he's a mess. And God just looks at him. And he doesn't even let the announcer announce the winner. He just walks off and leaves. In other words, wow. I think everybody here can figure out who the winner is. And I think everybody, except for maybe you, Jonah, can figure out what we're supposed to learn. And God just walks off. He doesn't have to say anything else. The point has been made. His compassionate concern is justified against the merciless minister. But really, the question isn't just for Jonah. The question is for you and me. You and me. We who, if we're honest, found ourselves many times in Jonah's shoes. God, those people? God, that person? I mean, look at all I've done for you, God. And you're going to save them? You know, I don't want to be too hard on Jonah. It is somewhat of a dilemma. How can God be just and be wrathful towards sin and at the same time show compassionate care and not give sinners the punishment that they deserve? That's Jonah's dilemma here. And I'll give him a little credit. How is that possible? How is it possible for a God who is just and righteous and must, must punish sin to let this city, at least at this point in their history, go free? How can he be just and at the same time forgive sins? Well, about 500 or so years later, 
God sent His Son, Jesus, to the earth. The Apostle Paul wrote this about Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Note this verse. It was to show. What is the it? The sending of Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. It was to show His righteousness, that's His justice, at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Does Jonah do right to be angry? No, he doesn't. God can show compassion on who he wants to show compassion on. It's not Jonah's decision. It's not your your decision or my decision. It's God's decision. But how can God be just and forgive people of their sin? He can do it. By pouring his punishment out upon his own son. So that the sin is punished, but the sinner gets to go free. And that's how it is for all of us. If you're a Christian here today, you are just as much deserving of God's wrath as whoever the most vile sinner you could think of in all of history. But God has poured His wrath toward you out on His Son. And so then far be it from us to not show that same grace and mercy and love toward all those who God puts us in contact with. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what they've done. We share the love of God just as He has loved us. Last danger, and we'll close. Danger number three is this. Considering someone else not worthy of God's compassion. Now, if you're here today, and you are under the wrath of God because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And I want you to know that today you can experience the same compassionate care that the Ninevites received. God is concerned and He will show you compassionate concern if you will repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And today you can be saved. But I mainly want to challenge those of us who have experienced God's compassionate concern. Is it evident in the way that we love others and are willing to share the good news of Christ with anyone and everyone that we ourselves have received God's compassionate love? Or would people think, that person, there's no way that he, that she, knows anything about God's compassionate concern? Because I see them turn their nose up at this person or these people. 
whether it's because of a different socioeconomic class, whether it's because of a different skin color, whether it's because of a different language that they speak, whether it's because they vote different than you in elections. You see, we look down on people for all sorts of reasons and we think that somehow we're better than they are. God help us. Let's pray. Father, you win. You won against Jonah. You made your point very clear. And Lord, we really don't know what happened to Jonah. We can guess and we can make some speculations, but at the end of the day, we don't really know. Lord, we don't have any control over that. But Father, we do know about ourselves. And we do have the ability to respond rightly for ourselves. Father, everything in me wants to tell Jonah, Jonah, just wake up and be thankful for God's great love for you. And be thankful for God's great love for the people of Nineveh. Father, I wonder today if you're telling me or someone here, someone who knows you, who loves you, who's experienced your grace and mercy, and you're saying, wake up. That compassionate love is not just for you. It's for anyone and everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Father, Jonah was a recipient of your love, but he was stingy with your love. Father, as your people, help us not to be stingy with your love. Father, help us to have the same compassion on others that you have had on us. Father, I pray that in this moment, if you've convicted someone's heart of maybe looking down on someone for whatever reason and thinking, well, that person's not worthy of my time. That person's not worthy of my love. And maybe we haven't verbalized it, but what we're actually saying is that person is not worthy of God's love. Father, cut us to the core. Father, convict us. And Father, help us to learn this lesson of love. Father, that you loved Jonah so much that you were willing to rebuke him. You you took the time, Father, to point out his fault so that he would have an opportunity to repent. Father, thank you for loving your children so much that you take the time to point out areas where we are not serving you, where we are not honoring you, so that we too can have an opportunity to repent. Father, I pray that we wouldn't have hard hearts, that we wouldn't have self-centered hearts, that we wouldn't be merciless ministers, but that we would be full of compassion as we minister the gospel of Jesus to others. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.